0: Hi everyone and welcome to this presentation on talking to children and young people about sexualised media. In this presentation I'll be covering what we mean by sexualised media, the possible impact of sexualised media and how you can talk about sexualised media with children and young people. This session mainly focuses on the impact of sexualised media on girls and the ways to address the issue with girls and young women, but that is certainly not to say that sexualised media will not affect boys as well. Many factors impact how children and young people experience the world and some will experience and understand sexualised media content alongside other factors in their lives, such as being part of the LGBTQ plus community, being part of a minoritised ethnic group or having a neurological difference to name just a few. The content is based on research conducted with girls and young women and on my experiences of working with young people for just over 20 years. But that's not to say that everything will be relevant to your experiences. In the session on body image and self-esteem, we looked at Anushka Rhee's idea of the impossible lens, which is the idea that women and girls are subjected to a relentless onslaught of manipulated media images that tell them how they should look and which products they should buy to get that look. In reality, it's impossible to ever look like a digitally altered image of someone who has a team of people paid to make them look a certain way for the cameras. Many representations of women and girls in the media are not only focused on their looks, but they're also sexualised. That is, women are presented as sexual objects, and non-sexual scenarios are made to have sexual connotations or implications. Sexualisation of women in the media isn't a new thing. Women have been presented in ways that are intended to make them sexually attractive to straight men since the very early days of the media. Think of the Hollywood stars of the golden age of cinema like Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe, whose roles were often as much about their cleavage as it was about their acting ability. In her book, Women vs. Hollywood, Helen O'Hara writes about the ways that every aspect of female film star's image was manipulated and created by studio bosses, from their hair colour, to their weight, to their name. The irony of this is that nowadays women like Marilyn Monroe are often held up as the ideal, a woman who was curvy and shaped like a real woman, when in fact she certainly wasn't curvy by today's standards. She was petite and wore the equivalent of a UK size 8 for most of her career. And aside from that, she was under a strict contract with a studio and had very little freedom to choose any aspect of how she looked or which role she was given. Monroe ultimately set up her own company to try to move away from those roles, saying, I am tired of the same old sex roles. I want to do better things. People have scope, you know. Marilyn Monroe was tired of it in the mid-1950s, but not a great deal has changed. In fact, we might argue that the sheer volume of media available now means representations of women and girls as sexual objects are now more prevalent. We can all probably think of examples of adverts featuring women who are enjoying a food or beauty product way more than anyone could ever enjoy anything. Over the years, women have had seemingly sexual experiences with everything from chocolate bars to yogurts to shampoo to perfume. The Muller Yogurt advert featuring Nicole Scherzinger is a good example. Scherzinger has been successful in the music industry for decades. She's a singer, songwriter, dancer, choreographer and a TV presenter. She was lead singer with the Pussycat Dolls who sold over 55 million records worldwide, making them one of the most successful girl groups of all time. She has a soprano range and she's been a judge on X Factor. Despite all that, the Muller adverts would have us believe that Scherzinger's greatest pleasure in life is a fruit corner. And you would think, since she experiences near-orgasmic pleasure when she's eating a yoghurt, that she would be better at eating a yoghurt. Some of the adverts in the series culminate with Scherzinger ending up with yoghurt on her face. So why would a multinational food company want to show a woman with yoghurt on her face? Well, I think there's two main possibilities. Firstly, to make her look silly. And secondly, to create a sexual connotation associated with a white product on a woman's face but maybe I've read too much into that. And they just thought it would be a great way to convince women to buy yogurt so they could be just like Nicole. Sexualized adverts are one end of the spectrum of sexualized media content that children and young people can access. But there is a great deal more out there that is much less subtle than yogurt on a woman's face. Since the widespread use of the internet, the media has become what is commonly referred to as hyper That is, excessively concerned with sexualized content. And there's an increasing acceptance of sexual themes and explicit imagery in popular and mainstream culture. Much media content contains imagery similar to that which is seen in pornography, which is sometimes called pornification or pornified media. And this is particularly evident in music videos. Again, these sexualized representations aren't new. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, Britney Spears was depicted wearing a school uniform that would fall foul of any dress code. And Christina Aguilera was shown writhing on a beach, writhing in a boxing ring, writhing at the Moulin Rouge, writhing all over the place. The sexualisation has always been there. What is arguably different now is the volume and the explicit nature of easily accessible content. Many of the barriers to accessing sexualised content no longer exist. Depending on your age, you may remember when there was a watershed on TV so that adult content, including some swear words, could only be shown after 9pm. You may remember a time when, if you wanted to use the internet, it stopped anyone from using the landline phone, so it was obvious when someone was online. Even those barriers that do still exist such as having to be 21 to go to a sex shop which will also be licensed by a local authority or having to be 18 to buy a pornographic magazine from a shop are totally undermined by the availability of online pornography. It would be a very vigilant parent indeed who could monitor their child's media consumption to avoid any age-inappropriate content. And this is especially true when there's often an overlapping content that is shared on social media sites used by children and young people and the content on free to access online pornography sites. For example, the music video for WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion can be accessed on YouTube, Vimeo and any number of other video hosting sites. And even the clean version only switches out some lyrics, such as replacing Pussy with Gushy. And it leaves the content of the video the same. Even if a child or young person had not seen the WAP video or heard the song they would probably have come into contact with it on TikTok. TikTok is a video hosting site that allows users to upload brief video clips of themselves either speaking or lip syncing to a pre-existing sound clip. During the start of the Covid lockdown in 2020 there was a TikTok trend called the WAP challenge This was a sexualised dance routine to a small section of the song and it is no exaggeration to say that it was everywhere on TikTok. Artists like Jason Derulo took part, as did influencers like Addison Rae and general users. It was impossible to avoid it if you were using TikTok around that time. Jennifer Lopez took part in the challenge by sharing clips from the film Hustler in which she plays a woman who performs in a strip club and it showed her character replicating the move from the challenge in a strip routine. A variation of the challenge involved young women doing the dance in front of their boyfriends to see their reaction, which was typically to stop her dancing, even though some were shown throwing money at her, as might happen in a strip club. The link between the song, the dance and the sex industry is obvious to adults, but it's also clear to many young people because of the pornification in the media, which makes such representations commonplace. Indeed, an article from the digital version of Dazed magazine claimed that data released by Pornhub, the world's largest free-to-access online pornography site, recorded a 1,574% increase in users searching for Cardi B after WAP was released. So not content with watching the WAP video, people were going to an online pornography site looking for more content, which suggests that they were expecting to find something there. Now we know what the context of sexualised media is like, what are the possible impacts? These representations and the accompanying messages are everywhere all the time. In adverts, on TV shows, in films, on social media, in music videos. And they tell us all that women should be sexually attractive and sexually available, but also that there is a very specific way that they should do that. Being sexy means replicating images from the sex industry that are created to appeal to straight men and that usually create a power dynamic where the man is dominant. In complete contradiction to this, sexualisation is often promoted to girls and young women as something empowering, as something that shows that they are confident and have high self-esteem. But there are such narrow confines in which women can be acceptably sexually attractive and these rules are even imposed on girls and young women long before they're adults. Again, this is nothing new. In 1983, the Sun newspaper did a countdown to Samantha Fox's 16th birthday when she appeared topless on page 3 with the headline Sam 16 quits A-levels for ooh-levels. At the time, it was legal for a 16-year-old to appear in nude photographs. The age limit has since changed to 18. And in 1996, Katie Price, under the pseudonym of Jordan, appeared topless in the Sun when she was 18. In 2008, Miley Cyrus, then aged 15, was featured on the cover of Vanity Fair, wrapped in a bedsheet, exposing her bare back. And most recently, Millie Bobby Brown, the teenage star of the Netflix series Stranger Things, spoke out via Instagram about her frustration and the pain and insecurity at being sexualised before her 16th birthday. Research by the NEU, the UK's largest teaching union, found that from age 12, girls feel pressure to be sexually available and they experience sexual harassment and sexual bullying. Age 12 is the first year of secondary school. This suggests that the hypersexualisation and pornification of the media is having an effect on girls and young women. Another possible impact of sexualised media is that children and young people get messages about romantic and sexual relationships from the sexualised media that could be harmful to everyone. The objectification of women and girls and the sexualisation of their bodies can also be linked to their experiences of sexual harassment. Research by UK Feminista NNEU NEU in 2017 found that 37% of school-aged girls surveyed had experienced sexual harassment while at school and that sexist language is prevalent with 64% of teachers saying they hear comments weekly and 29% saying it is a daily occurrence. One female student told the researchers, Some of the boys make comments a lot on the girls' bodies in our year and the girls just have to ignore it because no one thinks it's a big deal. It's likely that the true figures of girls and young women experiencing sexual harassment in schools are higher than reported, since sexual harassment can be so commonplace for some young women and girls that they don't even recognise it as inappropriate sexual contact. For example, one Year 10 participant in NSPCC research into sexting said that her experiences of boys saying, look at her bum and look at her breasts were not sexual harassment like seriously but both are examples of sexual harassment and would be unlawful in a workplace under the Equalities Act 2010. In addition, secondary aged girls are often reluctant to report unwanted sexual touching as they fear their concerns will be dismissed by teachers. Less than a quarter of girls who contributed to the UK feminist and NEU research said they felt that their school takes sexism seriously and only 14% said they would report sexual harassment to a teacher with only 6% having done so. These research findings are replicated in things girls say to me. They often hear sexist terms, and as it's so common, they don't bother telling anyone. Hearing and using adult language and seeing sexualised behaviours is normalised for many young people. And the knock-on effect is that they may start to behave in ways that seem age-inappropriate and too sexual, even when their knowledge of sex means that they may not properly understand what they're doing. For example, by replicating a highly sexualised dance routine that they've seen on TikTok, singing along to songs about sexual acts, and even by sharing sexualised or indecent images, or by engaging in sexualised behaviours themselves. One young woman who contributed to research by Fixers in 2016 said, boys feel that they have a right to touch you when you don't want to be touched. And... They're just kind of excused by boys will be boys or it's just what happens. These types of excuses and saying boys will be boys suggests that there is something inherent in all boys and men that means they cannot control their behaviour or their sexual desires. Anyone who's spent time with adolescent boys or men will know that this simply isn't true and it's insulting to suggest men are at the mercy of their sex organs. The majority of men and boys can and do behave respectfully and appropriately towards each other and towards women and girls. However, making excuses for the boys who do engage in sexual harassment and not questioning why they're behaving in this way is unlikely to stop it happening, which could have long-term consequences for both the boys and other young people in their future relationships. Ignoring it will not do the boy any favours at all. Something that can be managed when he is younger might be much more difficult to deal with once he's 18 and considered an adult. Sexualised media often promotes representations of unhealthy and unequal power dynamics in heterosexual relationships, with men being shown to be dominant and in control in romantic and sexual relationships. For example, men are more likely to be fully clothed while women are not. Women dance in a sexual way while men are more likely to be shown watching. Men are in charge and women must perform sexually for them. And this can have real world implications for young people in their romantic relationships. In 2015 Crime Survey for England and Wales, it was reported that 12.6% of young women aged 16 to 19 had experienced domestic abuse in the previous year. And research by the NSPCC in 2009 placed that figure for girls aged 13 to 17 at 25% with 31% of girls also reporting experiencing some form of sexual violence. The NSPCC research also noted that girls who were in romantic relationships with an older boy were more likely to experience all forms of domestic abuse, and that 16% of girls with an older boyfriend reported severe physical violence. So while we can't say that sexualised media directly causes these experiences for girls, we need to consider how the proliferation of sexualised representations of women and girls impact everyone's attitudes around how women should behave and how they should be treated. For me, being able to talk to children and young people about sexualised media is an important part of safeguarding, is it allows you to open up conversations about what healthy and equal friendships and relationships look like. How can we expect young people to tell us when they feel uncomfortable with a situation or a person if they have never even suggested to them that the representations they are seeing are not always healthy or realistic? For example, the normalisation of sexual harassment perpetrated against girls means they rarely tell anyone it is happening and instead they learn safety tricks in an attempt to avoid difficult or dangerous situations developing with men and boys. This approach to personal safety will often be reinforced by the adults in her life too. She may be told not to walk a certain way home, to never leave her friends or to be kind to boys who show an interest in her and to give him a chance. In her 2020 song, Boys Will Be Boys, Dua Lipa sings, it's second nature to walk home before the sun goes down and put your keys between your knuckles when there's boys around. And we hide our figures, doing anything to shut their mouths, we smile away to ease attention so it don't go south. When we as adults are trying to safeguard girls and young women, we often give them things they have to do to protect themselves from harm, when maybe we should be talking to all young people about what harmful behaviours look like. I strongly believe the only way to safeguard children and young people effectively and to challenge the sexualised media representations they see so much of is to talk to them. So how can you do that? The first step is to know what's out there and the kinds of content they're seeing. It can be tempting to assume that you've seen it all and there's nothing that can shock you and you may well be totally up on what the media world is like for young people but it certainly would not be surprising if you weren't. The content children and young people are exposed to is ever changing and it can be difficult to keep up. As people over 30 find an app, many young people are done with it and have already moved on. The girls I speak to are often incredulous that adults don't know what certain apps are or what they see and deal with on a daily basis. Again, to safeguard young people, I believe we need to know what content is like that they're consuming. To give you an idea of how you can talk to children and young people about sexualised media I'm going to be using the example of WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, and as mentioned earlier, you can access this video on YouTube or Vimeo. WAP, which stands for Wet Ass Pussy, has been hailed by some as a song of female empowerment, as the two women are singing in a way that male rappers have been doing so for years. The lyrics are overtly about sex acts and the video takes place in a mansion with several rooms, each seemingly dedicated to a woman who dances provocatively for the camera. Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion have their own rooms and other famous women such as Carly Jenner and Normani are also shown in rooms. Some are accompanied by animals like tigers and pythons. There is also footage of a large group of women dancing together, including in a shallow pool of water. But there are no men in the video. I've chosen this as an example to look at firstly because it is so obviously sexualised, but also because of the TikTok challenge discussed earlier, which meant that it was widely accessible to children in its uncensored form. It's also a good gauge for you on how in the know you are. WAP was really hard to miss or avoid. So if you've never heard of it or seen the video, there is a whole world out there for you to discover. I think it's also worth mentioning that black women and women from minoritised ethnic groups are often more sexualised in the media than white women. We don't have space to discuss this in depth now, but it is worth thinking about how racist stereotypes intersect with gender stereotypes in the depiction of some women. And the ways that could impact girls and young women from those ethnic groups in different ways. One thing you can try to do, and to encourage the girl in your life to do, is to critique the sexualised media representations you see. Now critiquing is not the same as criticising, the point is to question the industry that creates the images rather than the individuals within it. For example, if you want to critique the sexualised representations in WAP, you should avoid commenting on Cardi B or Megan Thee Stallion as individuals. Though they may come across as empowered women and it's likely they made money from the representation, it's unlikely they had complete artistic control around how they were shown. And even if they did, and they absolutely wanted to be shown in that way, it's best to avoid criticising them for those choices or comparing women to each other and saying one style or presentation is better than another's. As we've seen, media representations of women have been highly sexualised for many years, so it seems unlikely that individual women would be able to work against them and change an entire industry. Some can and have, like Missy Elliott, but it wouldn't be possible for others. For me, not comparing women is really important. Recently, there's been a social media post I've seen several times across different platforms about Nadia Nadim, a female footballer and Afghan refugee. The post details all her amazing achievements and ends with the line, if you want to show your daughter a role model, show her Nadia, not the Kardashians. Now, Nadia is amazing and her achievements are incredible, but I've no idea why the comparison at the end is necessary. With one sentence, we raise women up, and with the next, we tear them down. For many girls and young women who do admire the Kardashians, who also have some impressive achievements amongst them, despite a very different background, what message are we giving them? Anyway, I digress. When critiquing representations, you could start by asking the girl in your life what she thinks of the song and video, as straightforwardly as, what do you think of this song? Or what do you think of this video? She may say it's a good song, but that could mean it's a catchy tune rather than she approves of or even understands what the lyrics mean. She may even mention some double standards and say the women are sluts for behaving in that way, which is less likely to be said of men who sing about similar topics. Whatever her response, you may be able to follow up with a couple more questions. For example, you could say, that's interesting, what makes you say that? Or, who do you think they're trying to appeal to? Always try to keep questions open and avoid just saying what you think or being judgmental as this will probably shut the conversation down. Many of the media representations the girls and young women in your life see and possibly like are not meant for anyone over 30, so disapproving of them comes with the territory. It's just to be expected. If you want to move beyond that, you will need to keep your appalled face at least partially hidden. And remember, attitudes to sex change with each generation. So the girls in your life may have a very different perception of what counts as a sex act or the level of intimacy involved. Something that in your day was highly intimate may not be perceived in that way anymore. The kind of lyrics that she may be hearing are now likely to be more explicit than they were in the past but even Elvis caused a stir with some of the filth he sang about things that are now considered inoffensive and even wholesome so sometimes it's relative but it's still important to question representation so that the young woman and girls in your life know that there isn't just one way of seeing the world and that she is allowed to question what she sees and reject it if she wants to. And even if she doesn't want to reject it, so she knows that she can talk about it with a trusted adult if it ever gets confusing or scary. Many media representations suggest that being sexually attractive and sexually available makes you powerful. You could try to open up a conversation about who looks like they have power in the representation and who actually has power. For example, you could ask, do you think they were told how to dress or dance? Or... Who do you think decided what this video would be like? The girl in your life might think the women look empowered, like they're in charge. So you could ask if they have any real power or if it's a performance to appeal to straight men or to make money. A lot of the media coverage around Britney Spears at the moment really shows us that some young women have no power. Britney might be an extreme case, but the industry that chews up and spits out many young women is the same. Depending on what is shown to be happening in the video or what the lyrics say, you could ask, who do you think that was most fun for? Using WAP as an example, the lyrics are very much like those male rappers have used for decades, but rather than turning it around and making the song about heterosexual female sexual pleasure, much of the content is about male sexual pleasure, including references to causing women pain, unsafe and unprotected sex acts, and transactional sex, such as paying tuition fees in exchange for sex. Even in representation where it appears the women are in control of how they're shown, it's often the case that those involved with producing, directing and the design of the video are men, so at least some of those decisions were actually theirs, and that was the case with the WAP video. At this point, she might tell you to just stop talking, it's just a video, but some of what you said might stick with her, and she may spend some time thinking about it. Remember, it's important that it doesn't come across that you're criticising the women and girls in the representation. After all, they're not to blame for the way that society treats them or that you're criticising her for liking it, but rather that you are questioning the industry that made the representation and questioning who has the real power and who is shown to have power. Children and young people may sing along with songs and copy dances in ways that make them seem more sexually knowledgeable than they really are. It can be incredibly difficult to witness the dance being performed and you can feel an overwhelming urge to just shout at them to stop. The problem is the child may not know why they need to stop, so no great learning has taken place. You could ask, what's that you're singing about? Or, do you know what that means? Depending on their response, you can judge if you need to have a longer conversation. I've had lots of conversations with young people who have used sexualised words in a correct context, but with no understanding of what they mean. They've heard others use them, but knowledge of a word is not the same as understanding. For example, the clip from WAP that was used in the TikTok challenge included the following lyrics. I don't want to spit, I want to gulp. I want to gag, I want to choke. I want you to touch that little dangly thing that swings at the back of my throat. To most adults, the inferences are clear, though I certainly know some adults who need a moment to process what might be going on here. But it may not be clear for the children and young people who are singing along for a TikTok trend. While a child is singing this catchy little refrain, they may not actually be thinking about what it means, or even if they are, they may not have any clue what it means or that it's a description of oral sex. It's possible you don't want to explain it at the dinner table or during class, but asking about what they are singing is important for safeguarding, because if it's left unquestioned and unchallenged, the content becomes normalised, which makes the sexual exploitation of children a bit easier for those who wish to abuse them. Checking their knowledge and understanding is also an important part of safeguarding, as it can help to protect them from being pressured into age-inappropriate or abusive behaviours in their romantic and sexual relationships. It's also an opportunity to let them know that they can find age-appropriate and factual information about sex and relationships from reliable sources. Depending on your relationship with the young person you're talking to and their age or understanding, using humour and even some mock outrage can help to remove some of the embarrassment about the conversation. For example, my personal favourite is pointing out the realities of healthy and equal sexual relationships by saying something like, they don't seem that interested in safe sex, is nobody singing about condoms these days? You could try and find out more about what they think or know and offer other points of view for them to consider rather than telling them that they're wrong or that they what they're seeing is wrong. The point is not to tell the girl in your life what she should think, but to give her the opportunity to think about what she's seeing. Remember, she'll have seen so many sexualised representations of women and girls, it can be difficult to even think there could be an alternative way of being. After she shared a comment or view, you could say, I understand what you mean. I wonder if... Yeah, I've heard people say that. Might it also be? It could be that. Or... From my experience of talking with girls, they can often be grateful that they've been given permission to think in a different way because peer pressure and expectations can be very confining. So overall, to try to challenge the impact of sexualised media on girls and young women, I'd say the most important thing you can do is talk to her. Keep the conversation open and ongoing so she knows she can ask you about anything that she's seen without getting told off or being judged. Allow her to tell you what the world is like for her. And from my experience, all young people love doing that. And allow her to share what she sees and what her friends think. It's no exaggeration to say it's a whole other world and the best guides to it are the young people themselves.